Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm senior editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Corey Thomas, who is president and CEO at Rapid7. We're going to be discussing Rapid7's latest study into national exposure to cyber risk and the relevance of DevSecOps today. Corey is going to be sharing some challenges that he sees in the industry and some recommendations to deal with the same. Hi, Corey. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here today. My pleasure. Corey, you have done a recent study called the National Exposure Index. What's it about and what are the findings that stand out to you? What parts of the world are more susceptible? What parts of the world are more secure? Yeah, the National Exposure Index is a study based on a project sonar research that we do. What we do is we scan the internet on an ongoing basis. And what we're trying to do is answer the fundamental question, how susceptible is the world and specific countries to very, very standard attacks? How susceptible are they to exploitation? How susceptible to monitoring and spying? And how susceptible are they to amplification or hijacking infrastructure? And one way to look at it is how susceptible are devices and services that are publicly connected to the internet? Because in many ways, these are the easiest things to compromise and to hijack because you can get direct access to them. And early on, we were fairly shocked about how many exploitable, compromisable assets and devices there were on the Internet. So we started tracking and doing trending over time and comparing it on a country-by-country basis. There's some obvious things. The more countries use technology, the more susceptible they are. Last year, the top-ranked country in terms of susceptibility was Canada. Uh, This year, it's the U.S. Um, But we have found that there's actually changes and things move over time, one of the persistent uh, challenges that we see is attack vectors that are well known to be exploited, that things that make people susceptible to ransomware attacks like WannaCry and other things still have a pretty large exposure when we look out today. Sure. So let's move on to SecOps, DevSecOps, SecDevOps, what have you. You know, there are so many different definitions of it in the market. It's not very well understood. So how would you define SecOps? If you can give me a comprehensive view of it, and what's the relevance of it? Yeah, so the way that, you know, if you think about SecOps, whatever term, and you're right, there's so many different terms that people use around it. But at the core, the words say a lot about it. It's about, have you actually operationalized security? So the way that we tend to think about SecOps is that it's taking security from a manual, bifurcated approach and building security into the core IT processes and systems. And when we talk about the core operationalization of security, we're talking about having secure standards for how you deploy technology having consistent, and I emphasize the word consistent, standards for how you update and patch the technology in your ecosystem having consistent and defined standards that are engineered into your processes for how you apply configurations and controls in the environment, having consistent standards, methodologies, technologies, and processes for how you monitor the environment and how you remediate the environment. What we find is the reason that we call it security operations is that still today many aspects of security are infrequent uh, and happen on a one-off basis. So people do reporting and detection and scanning on a quarterly or annual cycle. People do monitoring inconsistently. So the core word is actually really operationalizing security and putting it into the core fabric and processes that actually run not just security teams but also IT teams. So, you know, if an organization has to now transition from the current way of approaching security into more of a DevSecOps or SecOps mentality, 
What is the way they can go about instituting a sustainable SecOps practice? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're talking about is taking something that's inconsistent and ad hoc and make it consistent and operationalized. And so the first thing that people have to do is they have to define the what. And so any good SecOps program starts with visibility because you can't manage what you can't see and that you're not aware of. So what we find is that many leading companies in SecOps start by focusing on visibility and understanding what they have and what's the state of the environment. And then from the visibility, they start essentially engineering or operationalizing core processes. The core process that many of them start with or the core process about how they manage users and authentication, the core processes about how they apply and manage updates and vulnerabilities in the environment, the core processes around how they deploy and configure technology in the environment. But it's a process-by-process approach, similar to what we did with re-engineering many, many years ago. Okay. So what are some common challenges that you see when organizations and security teams try to institute SecOps? There's also this cultural challenge of getting in with the operations team, trying to work with them, the synergies. So what are some common challenges? So you named the top challenge. You know, many people talk about the financial challenge and they can't get enough budget. What we found is budget is matters, but it's uncorrelated to success. The primary challenge is really one of relationships and in some ways politics about how different teams work together. Today you actually have strong walls and fragmentation that exists between the security team, the IT operations team, and the development or application team within organizations. And those walls and that lack of trust are the primary barrier and inhibitor that many organizations have to face. So right, SecOps is not just uh, restricted to organizations that are doing in-house development. It's about continuous security. Absolutely. Right? Uh, what are some evolutions or what are some developments that you see in the space that excite you going forward? Yeah, so I mean, one of the big ones, and I was not an early advocate of it, but I've come around recently and we've made our own investments in automation and orchestration. You know, for a long time, the IT industry was very skeptical about automation because we were worried about breaking things. Um, what we started to find is some of our leading clients were building their own custom automation frameworks and they had come to the conclusion that was relatively simple is that there was simply too much work to be done to actually take the manual approaches so if you were going to take something that was inconsistent and ad hoc and you were going to operationalize it you had to actually do a whole bunch more work and if you tried to do that with manual processes it was never going to get done effectively or well and so we've seen very successful implementations of practices that actually took a targeted approach to automation and took things that were inconsistent and manual and made them automated and consistent and still kept a high quality level and application uptime level there. So automation orchestration is one of the most optimistic things that has me believing that we can have a well-run, well-managed, operationalized security infrastructure. So I think as a follow-up to that question, you mentioned that you weren't a proponent of it to begin with. So what are some concerns that you have, if you have any, with technologies like automation, like AI? Uh, ML is all over the place yeah. and all these forward-looking technologies what are some concerns you have as a thought leader? Yeah, so the, the primary concern I had originally was that um, these technologies were going to lack context and therefore you can't really rely on turning the management and maintenance over to computers because they could break things, they have unintended consequences. Um, what we found is that there's really sort of like two core things there. One is 
how you apply it and how you manage it. It's the people aspect. And the other one is the technology aspect. The benefit that we actually have today is that we don't have to do blind automation. If you look at the work that our researchers and our people are doing, they're taking data and contextual automation because we actually have a pretty good picture of the environment and what's happening. And therefore, we can take a very intelligent approach to the ability to automate things in a constructive way. The second thing, and some of our leading customers showed us the way here, is that you don't have to do blanket automation. So you could really actually pick and choose the processes and the systems to automate based on the impact level, risk profile, and the need to have human intervention. And the last thing I'd say is that orchestration actually enabled a big part of this because what that allowed you to have is semi-automated processes where humans could intervene and review in the processes uh, over time. So the combination of intelligent automation, orchestration, and thoughtful targeting of different processes and process maturity um, has led to very, very successful process re-engineering and process automation and security. All right, great. Corey, thanks so much for that great insight. That was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. So that was Corey Thomas, who's president and CEO at Rapid7. For ISMG, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>